0: My subject this morning is judgment and rewards. There's always been a great concern and a lot of questions about the judgment. It has been a controversial doctrine throughout the years. There's been the fear of death, the fear of losing one's salvation, and the eternal consequences for our actions. Uh, My wife grew up in a very strict religious home. And as a child, not more than 12 or 13 years old, she had a dream that Jesus came and she wasn't ready. Because she was taught that you had to be ready for the second coming of Christ. And later in her teenage life, she had that same dream again that she was not ready. Some time ago, it's been within the last couple of months, I was asked the question um, what did you do before you were farming? And I said, I was a preacher. And, uh, oh, where did you preach? And I said, well, I said, the last church I preached at was up in uh, Alexandria. I said, but most of my ministry I spent as an evangelist. Oh, that's wonderful, they said. Just think of all the crowns, that you, all the jewels that you have in your crown. And I said, Well, I said, that's a nice thought. But I don't think I'll have any more than you. Oh, no, no. All those souls that came in, I said, it wasn't me that brought them in. It was the Holy Spirit that impressed them upon their hearts. So there's no crown or jewels for me, I said. And she said, oh, yes, she said, But, you know, she said, at the judgment time, we're going to have to give an accountability for the the things that we have done and the the gifts that God has given us. And so she was talking about a Christian judgment that we would have to give accountability to God whether we used our gifts or we didn't. I thought... When she said that, I said, well, that's, that's really something. Then I says, and that's what you believe. Oh, that's what the Bible says, she said. Oh. I says, and that is what the Bible means? Well, she said, I don't know about that, but I know what the Bible says. And I said, well, there's a big difference. Some believe that there are two judgments. The main judgment is whether we determine who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. The second judgment is for Christians, often referred to as the Bema judgment. bema I don't know if you've heard of that or not, but bima is a Greek word for the judgment seat. And that's where we will receive our rewards. Yeah, because the Bible speaks about a reward, And you have heard me say several times that when you accept Jesus Christ and are born again, that you pass through the judgment. And I use Romans 8.1. The Bible says there, therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So if there's no condemnation, there is no judgment. So when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, spiritually, he already seats you into heavenlies, so you have passed through the judgment. You've already been judged. You're one of God's children now. But then we go to 2 Corinthians 5.10, and here where we come into a little bit of difficulty here. For the Bible says, for we must all, all, all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Well, here we have it. The Bible says all will appear, some for punishment, and then others believe some for rewards. Some claim that the bima is the word that comes from the Greek Olympic Games, where when you win, you go up on the platform and they put a medal around your neck. And so they believe, because of that, that the bima... Judgment seat is rewards-only judgment. However, the truth is that the word Bema actually appears in the Bible about 12 different different texts, different areas. One, it describes the Pilate's judgment seat as the Bema. Another, Herod Agrippa's judgment seat. And in Acts, Caesar's judgment seat, and as well as the judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5:10. It appears plenty of times in the Bible as a place from which judgment and punishment are doled out. Now, with that said, Let us move into Revelation 20. And I'll give you just a little bit of background on Revelation 20. I'm not going to, uh, I don't know exactly what everyone believes here, but there are some that are pre, some that are post when it comes to the rapture. Um, Keep in mind that only about 30 to 40 percent of the Christians believe in the rapture. The others do not. They, they use the same text to prove both points. Now that's amazing to me that you can do that. But that is what has been done. So Revelation 20, verse two says, "He sees the dragon." Now this is talking, to, this whole background is talking, Jesus Christ has come the millennium is going to start. Now, there are some people who believe that the, of the those thousand-year period of times is literal, and others believe that it is spiritual. It all depends on where you, where you are. But here it says here, and I'm not going to try to interpret it for you. I'm going to let you interpret it yourself. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, the Bible says. And then in verse 4, we, we know that the saints live with Christ. They live on. And then after the thousand-year period, let me... Good, we got that verse. Right. I saw the throne in which was seated those who were given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received his mark on their forehead or their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So here we have, in this prophetic vision that John the Revelator is describing, we find that the second coming of Christ has taken place. The millennium is going to start, a thousand-year reign. And so now, with that just that little background, we come to the great white throne judgment. Now, this is the final judgment. So I want you to understand this. In Revelation 20, beginning with the 11th chapter through 15, the Bible says this. If I can read that. And then then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky, fled from the presence. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books, the books, plural, the books were open, the Bible says. And another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books, the plural. The sea gave up the dead. That were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and each person was judged according to what he has done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So there you have the great white judgment. Now, the question is, who are the dead? Well, they are the wicked. The believers, their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So this judgment is for unbelievers. It's not for believers. It's for unbelievers. The wicked. In John 3, verse 18, the Bible says, and this is a very important text says, he who believes in Jesus, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So it seems to be a very black and white judgment here. Chapter 21. Verse 3 and 4. It says here, He dresses the church, the bride of Christ. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city. It seems like And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old, older of the things has passed away. Order. Now, here it is. It's not complicated. It's black and white. The judgment is for unbelievers. Believers have already passed through the judgment. You and I have already been judged. That's why there is no fear of the judgment. The judgment is for unbelievers, and the reason for the judgment is because of unbelief. And unbelief produces deeds, and deeds, according to the Bible, are sins. So the believers, what are they doing there? Well, the Bible says they're there to inherit their home. When the Bible says all, yes, all, but only those that are unbelievers are there for the judgment, we are all there to inherit our home and reign with Christ throughout eternity. The book of Revelation seems strange to us today. We don't have books like that. The book of Revelation is a historical sketches of what will happen in the future, a sequence of events that are to strike the earth. Several people down through the ages have tried to predict when Christ was going to come through the book of Revelation. I don't know how many of you have ever read the book, but there was a book written. Eighty-six reasons why Jesus is coming in 86. (laughs) And then the late great planet Earth by Hal Lindsey, the number one seller for 10 years next to the Bible. And he's telling us exactly when Jesus Christ was going to come, not to the day or not to the hour, but pretty close. He was going to come in 19. Now, his book isn't selling too well right now, but it did at that time. And then there was the book, The Last Plan of God. That book was written in 1992. It was given to me in 1993 by two very dedicated, wonderful Christian women. It predicted that Jesus Christ was going to come in October 1999. These two women had a very successful business in Washington, D.C. They walked away from that business, went to New York, where the prophet or the author who wrote this book was, and they went and they followed him. it doesn't seem possible that we could be enticed or convinced into something like that. But all down through the ages, it's been that way. I'll quote you something from his book. He said this, After the rapture, the world will enter into the most horrible period of the whole history of mankind, called the Great Tribulation. The purpose of the tribulation is punishment In salvation through fire. He depicts that when the rapture takes place. That there are going to be some Christians who will be left here. And they're going to help these people find salvation through fire. But one common trend that they all have had. Those who have tried to interpret the book of Revelation. Especially towards the second coming. They have consistently all been wrong. Every one of them have been wrong. Why is it? The very book that God told us to read, and yet we can't understand it. Most Jewish and Christian apocalypse that have preached the apocalypse, it was been designed to show that God is ultimately in control. Scholars have long thought that the book of Revelation was written for the Roman Christians at the Roman Empire time. Now, some scholars have thought, well, that's true, it was written for the Roman Christians. It was written to encourage them that no matter what happens that God is going to see us through it. And so they said that it has a dual application. That it was there for the Christians, and then it was there for our future. And I believe that I'm into that camp. I believe it has a dual application. There are some scholars who believe that the whole book of Revelation applies only to the future. But there's a, some issues with that too. But the bottom line is. The judgment is nothing to fear for the Christian. Nothing to fear. There's no fear in it. I believe that the Bible is very plain in the judgment. It's black and white. It's believers and unbelievers. And so when we go to the the book of Matthew, Matthew 25, there's the illustration of the sheep and the goats. So I guess the question is to us, are you a sheep or are you a goat? It's very simple. And when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. Now, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, there's some meaning to that, simply because when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you were born again, you were saved, and you were seated at the right hand of God. That's where you were. That's where you are spiritually today, at the right hand of God. He will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, "Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance." Now, now we're getting our first clue to rewards. Now he says, Take your inheritance. Now, the kingdom, what is the inheritance? The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So we're going to find out that your inheritance is your reward. Your reward is your inheritance. Now, in verse 34. Then that king will say, come, you who are blessed, take your inheritance. Take your reward, take your inheritance. And then in verse 41, then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This is a black and white judgment. This is the great white throne judgment. This is the final judgment. And you and I are not going to be in it. Listen carefully. God has divorced who we are from what we've done so that our destiny and standing are not in question. When you understand that you're a child of God, that's who you are. You are a child of God. And it doesn't make any difference what thoughts go through your head, what things are going through your mind. That doesn't make any difference. You are a child of God. We have found out in previous messages that we're like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7. I don't know what's wrong with me. All these thoughts go through my mind. And he says, but it's not me. It's not me, it's sin that dwells in me. It's not me. It's not my heart. God gave me a new heart. He performed surgery. He took out that heart of stone and put in his heart. It's not my spirit. My spirit doesn't want to sin. But my flesh at times does. So Paul says, it's not me. And when you sin, it's not you. Now, do we really believe? Do we really believe that we're going to be rewarded somehow? So, what is our reward? Notice I didn't say rewards, plural with an S, because that word is not found in the Bible. It's not there. The Apostle Paul speaks of a reward. Singular. For running the race he compares it to. A prize. The content of reaching the end. Are we really. Led to believe. That. That God was going to be awarding. At the judgment. But. Larger homes to some people. Cardboard boxes to others. No. Are we to believe that God is handing out cash prizes? Based on our works? Well, that's not grace at all. That's not grace. Some have said, well, what about Matthew 6.20? But store up, the Bible says... For yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. What about that? Well, treasures are not rewards. People discover treasures. They don't earn them. Once a treasure is discovered... It can be abandoned or it can be stored. And with the Bible saying, God is asking us to store up our actions and our attitudes that endure forever. Now, I was a Christian and I was a preacher for 15 years. And my life was wonderful. I was very legalistic, but it was still wonderful. I couldn't have asked for any better life. Until I heard about eternal security and read it and came to believe in it. And my life changed. My attitude toward God changed when I discovered the exchanged life in Christ. Those treasures that I found in God's word, they will be with me throughout eternity. And that's those treasures that the Bible is speaking about. Let's go to Matthew 20, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. It's a very popular parable that God has given to us. Most of you know the story. It starts like the kingdom. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. So he agreed to that. Now verse 8. Verse 8 says that when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages. Now, most of you know the story on how he hired people at the ninth hour and then at the 11th hour, the sixth, the ninth, the 11th and here the 11th hour they they only worked an hour and now he says and pay them their wages with the last with the last ones hired and go on to the first. Now here we find out that he made everybody, equal so in verses 9 I think we have it up there don't we verses 9 10 the workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius now you can imagine as they were in line (laughs) waiting to get paid those they only worked an hour and they got a denarius and so those others thought oh man this guy is great Look what he's doing. Just think what he's going to give us. But they found out that it didn't work that way. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. In verse 11, it says, And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired... Last worked only one hour. They said, and you have made them equal to us who have bore the burden of the work and the heat of the day. And notice what he says next. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the men who was hired last the same as I gave you. Now, this has given us a little description of about this reward stuff. We are all equal. The Bible says that the reward is for us to spend eternity the gift of God to spend eternity with Jesus Christ, our Lord. But it does seem to assault the ego. You mean that someone can live like the devil all their life, and then at the last hour they accept Jesus Christ, and they're in. And here we've been working out there in the hot sun, we've been working as Christians, and they're in. It just doesn't seem... Is it fair? Yes. Reward reward, not plural reward is the gift of eternal life. When we received the gift of eternal life, we received the gift of righteousness. We were made righteous. And then we were given the gift of living in a forgiven state. Then we were given the living we were given the opportunity to live the abundant life in Christ that's what we have received reward is your eternity with Christ now you tell me those of you that became Christians later in life like i did can you say that not Knowing who you are in Christ struggling all of your life with guilt and shame is the abundant life Christians do you know what we have we are walking in freedom we are free of guilt and shame I've been a born again Christian for 50 years now 15 of those years I was very legalistic And I admit that. But even those years were better than any year I spent as a non-Christian. We have everything. Knowing that Christ lives in us. It doesn't get any better than that. Knowing that our sins are not held against us when we do sin. Not held against us. Knowing that we are sealed unto the day of redemption. Sealed. Nobody can break that seal. You can't break it. Nobody can. We're sealed unto the day of redemption. Knowing that we will not face the judgment. We can read books on the judgment. I have a book, I have so many books on judgment about Armageddon and all of this stuff. And somebody says, Aren't you concerned? No, I'm not concerned. What do I care? I'm in a win-win situation. I die, the next thing I wake up, I see the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether I live or die, I'm winning. Christ is everything that we need in our everyday life. 2 Peter 1, 3. The Bible says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We have everything. Everything we need. We don't need anything else. We have it. A lot of us just don't understand just what we have. Just like I did not for 15 years. I didn't understand exactly what I had. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Now it doesn't Get any plainer than that. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. It's not a mansion. It's not second story on in purgatory. It's none of that stuff. It's being with Christ throughout eternity. When we have Christ, we have everything. Everything. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our what? Our inheritance. Guaranteeing our reward. Until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What a wonderful life we really have. We have everything. Everything. We just have a hard time believing it. We just have a hard time accepting it. But we have it. You are safe and secure in Christ. Whether you believe it or not. Has nothing to do with you. If you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life when you did it. And it was never erased. It was there forever and will be there forever. We have it all. It doesn't get any better than this. Somebody said, You mean to tell me that you're okay? With somebody 90 years old, they've been living the devil's life, then all of a sudden they accept Christ, and he gets the same reward as you? And I said, you bet I am. I just feel sorry for him. I've had 50 years of eternal life. I began my eternal eternal life when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. That poor guy hasn't had but An hour. No, it, it's not that way. We praise God, we thank God for every soul that gives our life to Christ. And we're more than happy to share eternal life with anyone who wants it. And that is the gospel. And that is the truth about the judgment. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that we do have a doctrine called the judgment. And we're thankful that we passed through it when we accepted you as our Savior. And I pray, Lord, that each one of us will come to a, just as time goes on, we'll come to a greater appreciation for what we already have. And we're thankful that we have it all. We know that life isn't fair. But we know that you are good and you'll always be good. And when we go through trials and tribulations, you're there. You're there with us. And this we are eternally grateful for. I pray that you'll be with each one of us now as we go to our homes. Bless us and help us to have a great Lord's Day. Bless us in every respect. And Lord, we love you. We love you for what you've done, but we love you even more for what you're doing. Bless us, I pray. Meet, continue to meet our needs as you have promised. For we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.